The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. So the Gospel of Mark. The servant on the mission is where we've been, and we're going to be there for a while. The September theme was prayer and miracles. And today's sermon title is Jesus Came to Call Sinners. Now perhaps you saw the sign for the lost dog. He's only got three legs. He's blind in the left eye. He's missing the right ear. His tail has been broken off. He was neutered accidentally by a fence. Ouch. He's almost deaf. And he answers to the name Lucky. That dog is lucky. He's been through a whole lot of mess. But he's lucky because he's got an owner who loves him and wants him back. That's what redemption is all about. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, redeemed for many. That's really a wonderful theme. One of the uh, commentators says of the text we're looking at today, it's a scandal of grace. <laughs> and wow, what a glorious story it is. This uh, last two weeks ago, Jeff preached so well on the text of the healing of the leper at the end of, John, of, the end of Mark chapter 1. Aren't you just moved if you are willing, the leper says. Of course, Jesus is willing to heal diseases. He had the ability to do so, and he touched him. And the moment he touched him, he becomes unclean. He is disqualified from the temple. But then he says, be clean. And of course, he is clean. And I love the words he says. Go to the priest and offer the thanksgiving offering as a testimony. It's the word martyr, actually. It'll be used many times in, in the first century. Gruta means something much more. But give it as proof, because honestly, folks, priests didn't have people cleansed of leprosy coming to them. <laughs> Once in a whole career, that priest had a man come who had been healed of leprosy. Yes, he's willing to heal diseases. He's also willing to forgive sins. And didn't David do a great job last week? I mean, I listened to that message and I was just so blessed. And I know you were. He went in detail about sin, but he also made such a clear invitation that Jesus forgives sins. All of them. And that really was the greatest miracle of the day. The fact that the paralytic was walking and everything wasn't as near as significant as the fact that Jesus demonstrated his deity by indeed forgiving his sins. The people were amazed. That's the third word amazed we found in the Gospel of Mark. And this one means they just couldn't explain it. There's no way to explain what happened. And again, not just the healing of the paralytic, which is dramatic enough, but the forgiving of sins, and so they glorify God. Wow. Well, today, as I'm introducing the message, 
as this mission story continues, we see Jesus in dynamic circumstances, okay? And the first couple of verses, 13 and 14, the circumstances seem very familiar. They're very much the same as what we've already been seeing. But then at verse 15, some circumstances radically change, and it's because of opponents uh, to the gospel. John Stott preached a message on this, and, and I was reading it, and it, it just really moved me what he said as we're introducing. It is often said that you can tell what a person is like by the company he keeps. Look at his friends, and from them you can deduce what his character is like. There is some truth in it. Birds of a feather, as we say in the proverb, do flock together. But you know, it's not the whole truth by any means for the simple reason that you have to consider the motives of people for the company they keep. Why do they choose particular people to fraternize with? It is possible to seek people's company not because you like what they are, and acquiesce to in what they are, but because you hope to have some influence in changing them. Hmm. Jesus was the friend of publicans and sinners, so they assumed, the Pharisees did, that he preferred their company to the company of the righteous. In fact, they assumed that he approved of their sinful conduct. It doesn't seem to have occurred to these Pharisees that Jesus might have kept bad company for a good reason. But he did, you know, and so should we. The problem we're going to face is that most of us don't have any bad company, <laughs> as we ought to have if we are followers of Jesus. It's going to be very challenging for us this morning to consider whether we are more like the Lord Jesus in the company he kept or more like the Pharisees who avoided that company. There is a great deal of Christian Pharisaism in the church today. So you see, what we're going to consider from this passage set for us this morning has something to do with mission. Thank you. Some circumstances remain the same. Jesus is teaching. Verse 13, once again, Jesus went out by the lake, a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, Mark, we've said, uses the verb to teach 12 times in his short gospel. He rarely tells us the content of the teaching. In fact, as we're moving along, we're going to find many times the teaching content is because there are people opposing him. <laughs> He doesn't, for instance, give us the Sermon on the Mount the way Luke does and the way Matthew does. So he's, he's showing us the dynamic of Jesus' teaching and does give us, of course, some of the content. And the crowds are growing. We've seen this as we've looked through this Gospel of Mark. The crowds just keep growing. He is growing in popularity. And, and this time he went out by the sea. Now, he had taught in the synagogue. He had taught in someone's home. And a guy came through the roof to hear him. And, and then he was now teaching by the seashore. Um, I was helping my uh, grandson study for a test, and he was talking about the circuit riders, the preachers who went out on their horses and preached. And I thought of John Wesley and George Whitfield and those who during that movement had to go out because the churches wouldn't let them preach the born-again message inside the walls. 
So they went out and preached that same message. You see, and that's kind of like Jesus. He's just teaching all the time. He, he's teaching 24-7, 365 days. He's teaching by giving them propositional truth. Our generation doesn't like propositional truth. We'd rather talk about our feelings. But Jesus actually gave propositional truth, and we see this again and again. He also is modeling the faith again and again and again. Every word is the word of God. Every thought is the thought of God. Every action is the action of God. You see, this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews is an interesting letter because there's no introduction. <laughs> he doesn't say, this is who it is and whatever. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The pinnacle of God's revelation to us is Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the exact radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Yes. He's teaching. He's also calling individuals. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. <laughs> Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Wow. This has been the pattern. One in 17. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is calling individuals by name. This is the matrix of his discipleship strategy. It's people, it's relationships, one by one. The name Levi is probably his given name that his parents gave him. In the Gospel of Matthew, which he wrote, he calls himself Matthew. Now this is kind of interesting, and I can't verify this, but it seems to me that his given name was Levi, but Jesus called him Matthew. You know, when Jesus gives you a nickname, it's a wonderful nickname. He never gives you a nickname that isn't something of a goal that you can reach. You're Simon, I'm going to call you Peter, because on this rock, I'm going to build my church, right? So here, Matthew means disciple. So the guy that was a tax collector is now a disciple, a learner, a follower of Jesus Christ. He's the son of Alphaeus which specific, you know, specifies who he is. There's another apostle called the son of Alphaeus. James is his name. So is it possible that Matthew or Levi and James were brothers? It's possible. If that's true, then there are three sets of brothers in the apostles. We got Andrew and Peter, Simon, and we've got James and John, and now we might have James and Levi. I found that very interesting. Six of the 12 were brothers. He's sitting in the tax collector's booth. Now this is right on the main trade route and they charged tariffs and taxes on the fish that were being caught and sold. And so it all fits and is a very prosperous business. So he had a very busy business. And of course, 
he is a customs official working for Herod Antipas, but that's all under the Romans, and that's why they were so disliked, because they're collecting taxes for the government that oppresses them. Whew, that sounds a little familiar. I don't know, but anyway. And the fact is that they overcharged intentionally because they took the extra money that they didn't have to give to the government and they put it in their pockets. So the tax collectors were very wealthy and very disliked. And so it's almost like Jesus picks the arch sinner of the town and says, follow me. In fact, it seems to me, Levi may have been one of the most sinful, but he also may have been one of the wealthiest of all the apostles. He stood and then he followed. I love that word stand because it's used later of the resurrection. <laughs> it's like he stood to live a new life and then he followed. And see, that, that's what Jesus is calling us to do. No turning back. <laughs> Simon, Peter, and some of the other fishermen are later seen fishing. But when Levi followed Jesus, he would never again be a tax collector. He left it all to follow Jesus. And there was no chance he would ever go back to his old job. Some of you experienced that when you started following Jesus. Amen. Amen. My sheep know my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Amen. Grant Osborne says so clearly, forgiveness leads to discipleship. But the moment he's forgiven, he rises to follow Jesus. And Jesus is assembling his community one by one as he's calling them out individually. The gospel is not just spoken, it's lived. This is a theological truth of incarnation in the flesh. Jesus came and tabernacled among us. And John writes, listen, we looked at him, we saw God. We saw the glory of the one and only and so Jesus was teaching 24-7, 365 days, every word, every thought, every deed. He's revealing who God is. Now, Paul followed a similar example. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. It's actually the verb mimic. Mimic me as I mimic Christ. Now, that's important because there are some things I do you should not mimic. <laughs> but when I'm following Christ, that's what we follow. That's who we follow. 
He said in chapter 4, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. When they got saved, when they trusted Christ. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of the way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Churches can become models. The church of Thessalonica, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message, the gospel, in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model, a pattern, to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You have a testimony like that. And you're a model to others. Now, you're either a good model or a bad model. All right? And there's some of both in us. But by God's grace, we want to follow Christ and we want to encourage others to follow us as we're following Christ. You see, that's the goal. That's, that's the vision I read this story, and it really made me chuckle. The pastor's name is Bob Russell. And um, sometimes we hear people saying, well, everybody's doing it, so uh, it must be okay. Two months ago, my wife and I were visiting our son Rusty and his family. One day, Rusty was test driving a foreign-made car and was frustrated because he couldn't figure out how to change the speedometer reading from kilometers to miles. That evening, he suggested we take the kids and go out for ice cream. We'll need to take two cars, he insisted, so you and Mom just follow me. I followed him and was surprised when a policeman whizzed by behind us with his lights flashing. I couldn't imagine he was after me because it didn't feel like I was speeding. And besides, I was going the exact same speed as the guy in front of me. The officer came up to my window and said, Sir, you were going 58 miles per hour in a 45 miles per hour zone. But wait right here. I'm going to deal with a car in front of you, and I'll be right back. When he went to my son's car, Rest, Rusty quivered. Officer, I know this is going to sound like a line, but this is the first day I've driven this car, and I can't figure out how to change it from kilometers to miles, so I had no idea how fast I was going. The guy behind me is my dad, and he doesn't know what he's doing either. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, there are good models, and there are bad models. We say it. We say we want to see lives transformed. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to connect with Christ personally. And then we're going to connect in community with other believers. And then we're going to be prepared to connect to the culture. You see, this is exactly what Jesus did. And it's what he's calling us to do. And we do so not only with the message, but also the model of the message being lived out.
So some circumstances remain similar. You're either a good model or a bad one. But some are changing. And it's a very popular setting. That is popular in the sense that we've seen this before and we're going to see it again. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. And his disciples were there for there were many who followed him. Many sinners and tax collectors, many who are following him. Hmm. It appears as you read the verse that Jesus is the honored guest. He may even be the host, even though it's in Levi's house. And Levi obviously wanted the message to be communicated to his friends. Hospitality is a big deal. We've seen this earlier in, in the letter. And it includes food and, and conversations and many were there. And this is the same pattern that we saw with John the Baptist. Many sinners were going out to John the Baptist because they recognized they were in sin and they wanted to change. They wanted to repent. They wanted to have forgiveness. And they were ready to leave their life of sin and follow Jesus. They were being prepared for that. And now we're seeing this in the case of Jesus. Now a critical question arises. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, Pharisee means separate ones, separate ones. When, when they saw him, that is Jesus, eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, cowards, didn't ask Jesus, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now see, these sinners are more offensive than the leper. They're more offensive than the paralytic because they're sinners. Now often this term was grouped together with thieves and murderers and liars and other things. But actually what the term sinner identified was someone who wouldn't follow the rabbinical traditions and rituals. They were called people of the land. They're outcasts. They're reprobate. You don't want to be anywhere near them. They're unclean. Now, what's striking about the story is, as I'm reading it, that Jesus doesn't preach a sermon on repentance. It seems like it's back to what we saw with James and John and Simon and, and Andrew. Come and see. Come and see. He's like, just being with them. He's loving them. He's caring for them. And, and many of them were turning to Jesus. But it's just funny that there's no sermon. There's just the life being shared. And it's having an effect. Cowards. They don't want to ask Jesus. But who's going to answer? You, you remember the story that, that David so well was talking about last week, and he read their minds, but in this case, he overheard it. And he says a very well-known proverb that comes out of some rabbinic literature on, on a commentary in the book of Exodus. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Obviously, that's very true. We all know that's true. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus isn't saying they're healthy. He's just saying they're not recognizing their weakness, their sin. Is anything more self-deceptive than self-righteousness? Honestly. And they just felt good about themselves because they were keeping the rules that the rabbis said they're supposed to keep. And they were separating themselves from those other folks. They taught the rabbinical teachings to enlighten people, but Jesus is actually going to redeem people. <laughs> Altogether different. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you recognize your sin and your shortcomings and your weakness and you run to the Savior. I mean, this is what happened to the Apostle Paul. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was born in, in the right tribe of Benjamin and on and on. But whatever were gains to me, Paul writes, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This whole story is about salvation and about faith in a relationship, not in rituals. So let me ask you this. Who are you willing to befriend? Hmm. If it's not sinners, you're going to be very lonely. <laughs> okay? That's just the truth. There are no righteous models on the earth. Our righteous one is in heaven. Now that doesn't mean we don't strive to walk in godliness and faith and all those things, and we need some friends like that. But who are you going to befriend for the sake of Christ? You see, we need to be careful because we're making our own rules like they did, and, and writing people off. We're to keep biblical morality, yes, but we're also to draw near to those who need to meet Christ. This is what Paul did, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, which would be Gentiles, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Mm. Do you see others with the eyes of a doctor or the eyes of a judge? Think about that. I read a sermon where the guy 
was so eloquently talking about this. In this life, we can have the eyes of a judge or we can have the eyes of a doctor. The eyes of a judge see a gothic girl, a deadbeat dad, and a foul-mouthed team leaving us thinking, why have anything to do with them? The eyes of the doctor see the hurts that God can heal. Now let me explain what he talks about. He talks about, he goes to Starbucks every day, and when he gets there, there's this young lady there, and she orders the same drink he does, double espresso with skim milk. She's goth. She has black hair, black clothes, knee-high jack boots, black fingernails, black lipstick, piercings in her nose, her lips, her ears, her eyebrows, and scattered tattoos. And she usually has a backpack that she has to take off to get her money. And sometimes it seems hard for her to hold the backpack, get the money, and pay for the coffee all at the same time. She doesn't make too much eye contact with anybody. And you wonder whether you should strike up a conversation with her. Maybe offer to hold her backpack while she pays. You're, you're not sure what to do with a whole goth bit, and you don't know whether she'd give you a dark look and not say anything. Should you try to be friendly? Yes! Maybe find out her story. Maybe you could introduce her to some new coffee. <laughs> Learn about her life. Just by all means, get into her. There's a man at work. Everybody shakes their head at him. He's been divorced a couple of times, and both of his ex-wives are suing him for past child support. He's a deadbeat dad. He's way behind on his support, and everything he does is like that. And he's been living with another woman and a small child, and a couple weeks ago he beat her up, and they sent him to jail for a couple of days. He's currently living in cheap motels. He rents by the month. And every lunch, he goes out and orders the same sandwich from Subway and comes back with mustard and ketchup all over his shirt. And nobody really talks to him. And he's too quick to criticize everybody. And <laughs> who wants to listen to that? Should you invite him to go along one day? Yes. Yes. By all means. Move into his world. Go to lunch. Buy him a burger at Burger King. You know, something different. Find out who he's rooting for. Get to know him. Your company has a co-ed softball team. And it's a co-ed team. And, and, and they really want you on the team because they've heard you're a pretty good ball player. But the women flirt with the men, and the men flirt with the women, and, and there's a lot of carrying on that goes behind the scenes, and should you play on that team? Yes, by all means, because you're going to look at others with the eyes of a doctor and not the eyes of a judge. Some say this whole story of the banquet at Levi's house sets the stage for the coming banquet. I'm so glad we're going to eat forever. <laughs> and we're going to fellowship with one another at this incredible banquet. 
And Jesus gave the invitation. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Hallelujah. All you need do is recognize your sin and trust in him. And then you'll be a part of the forever banquet. So what holds you back? Levi, follow me. And he stood up and he followed Jesus. Dear Lord, we've been challenged in many ways today. And we've been blessed with a certain and infinite forgiveness and display of your love and your mercy. And Lord Jesus, I just pray for everybody in this room, everybody listening online. I pray that you are certain you have trusted Christ. You've believed on him. Maybe something said today gave you hope, gave you a push. And the Spirit of God is saying, believe on Jesus now. Don't put it off. Believe now. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege to be your ambassadors, both in our teaching, propositional truth, but also in the model of our lives. And help us, Lord, to not get caught up in Pharisaism, but instead to aggressively and intentionally love and befriend those who don't know you yet. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.